0: Media Ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.cornerstone.org, or by subscribing to our podcast. Well, this morning, open your Bibles, Mark chapter eleven. I know some of you really appreciate expository preaching. Others might say, you know, have we been in like Mark forever? And it seems like that, um, but. Uh, we're going to continue on until we finish. There is going to be one break. We, we are going to be uh, doing a, a series once school starts, back just on Parenting by Grace. Uh, it will be kind of a parenting kind of format there. Uh, it will be one of the few times that we actually do topical, even though we will go straight to the Word to, to get all of our information and all of our truths and all of our grounding. But uh, I look forward to that. But I, I'd love just going, you know chapter and verse and uh, and that strange things happen that all of a sudden it's 4th of July and yet what we traditionally see as Palm Sunday is uh, kind of right there for the, our 4th of July um, kind of menu freedom how, how deeply does that word resonate in your mind and your heart Why does that word have such a deep sense of emotion? Whether you are a veteran and you have served and defended this country, whether you uh, have never served a day uh, in your life and, and yet you appreciate the freedoms that you have, whether you are from this country or not, whether you would come from a place where you say, okay, America is my home, that's where I was born, that's where I raised, whether you've come from another country, what is it about this word freedom that is so deeply emotional, so deeply a a thirst and a want, so deep that men would courageously give their lives, that that men and women would would sacrifice with their own lives for this deep thing that we call freedom. I I really propose that every one of us has a a William Wallace deep inside of us. You know William Wallace, Braveheart? That last scene... (laughs) He, you know, he's to renounce all that uh, that he believes in, and he won't. And so, he just that that last, you know, scene there, freedom. I, I propose that we all have that to some sense in our own hearts, and our lives. And on the day when we celebrate freedom in our country, uh, there's this deep pride that we have with it. There's just such a close association that so many have. Our Freedom as a nation, as a people. Uh, The emotion is raw. It's real. Uh, Portrayed in songs. Uh, Lee Greenwood's God Bless the USA. Uh, Let me just read a, a little bit of that. And I'm proud to be an American where at least I know I'm free. And I won't forget the men who died who gave that right to me. And I'd gladly stand up next to you and defend her still today, because there ain't no doubt I love this land. God bless the USA. And, and some of you are almost compelled, to, even at the reading of that, to go, yeah. <laughs> what, what is this emotion deep within us, guys? Well, where did that come from? What is this deep stirring that when we hear even... You know, you don't make, not consider yourself the most patriotic person in the world, and yet there's this thing about freedom, and we sing a song like that, or we, or we hear the, the, uh, the, the words of a song like that, and all of a sudden we realize that there is something deep there. I, I would challenge you that that is more of a spiritual thing than it is even a political thing. We may personify it in different freedoms that we have through a nation, through a Fourth of July and an Independence Day. We, we may kind of express it, but I, I promise you that the deep thirst that you have for freedom goes far beyond something that happened in 1776. I'm not belittling that not belittling that we have the freedom to worship this morning as we desire. I'm not belittling at all the fact that there are men and women who have given their lives to give us this freedom. I make much of that. But I don't know that that's the root cause. Why? Because I can look at other countries and I can see that other people of humanity have that same feeling about their country. Or they have that same feeling about you know, their background and their culture. That it's not something that we've just kind of cornered in America and we're going, to get this is who we are. No, maybe it's personified in that and maybe we take great pride and joy in that and yet this deep feeling of freedom that was in the heart of William Wallace and many before him long before 1776, what is this? I challenge you this morning that it comes from a spiritual need and I would kind of simplify it this way. That you and I, because we uh, were born in sin, a fallen nature, in other words, we were born from the very beginning because of the fall of Adam and Eve and the fall of humanity, all, all the way back to Genesis chapter 2 and 3, that because of that fall, we were born in bondage. And that deep-seated appreciation, this deep thirst that we have for freedom is not because you know, we want to sing a song about a particular country. No, it comes even deeper than that. It's because there is a freedom that has been bought for us by the finished work of Jesus Christ. And it's more than just a political need. It's deeply, deeply a spiritual need. I say that because it ties into, you know, what, Palm Sunday, you know, and on the 4th of July, at first, I saw such a kind of a contrast there. I almost wanted to just skip it since we had just covered this a couple of months ago. I thought, okay, we'll just go on to, you know, when he curses the fig tree and the fig tree dies. And I said, that will be interesting. But no, that's going to be next week, okay? <laughs> because we don't want to skip over this. Mark chapter 11, verse 1 through 3. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethes and Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and he said to them go into the village in front of you and immediately as you enter it you will find a colt tied on which you will on which no one has ever sat untie it and bring it and if anyone says to you why are you doing this and say the lord has need of it and we'll send it back here immediately there's a plan involved you don't see anything there about uh Patriotism, necessarily, but I, I promise you already the groundwork of this deep need, this deep appreciation, this deep thirst that we have for freedom is being established there. Uh, this is the beginning of what we formerly kind of called the Passion Week. We, we take that last week of Christ and we put those days together and call it the Passion Week. Jesus, I, I want you to know two things that we can tell already from this passage: When it sounds like it 's just a simple background description. Two really main truths that we see already established just in these opening three verses. Number one, Jesus is in full control. He is not a victim here. He will not be a victim all week long. He will never be the victim of what man is going to do to him. He is always the one that before the foundation of the world, this is the prescription. This is what he's come to, to do for us. So understand that. Number Two, no detail of prophecy is being ignored or forgotten. All these things that you just read there have been predicted hundreds of years before, sometimes thousands of years before in the Old Testament. God is a God of order. These events, these scenes actually uh, happen on the Mount of Olives. Uh, can we show that next picture? Uh, in my travels to the Holy Land, one of the great places, I mean there's so many great places there, but probably one of my favorites is the Mount of Olives. Uh, because it's not very big. Uh, again, it's more of a hill than it is a mount. Uh, it's got its name, Mount of Olives, because there's a whole bunch of olive trees there. Uh, this is where the Garden of Gethsemane is kind of right below there, and there's actually some trees, and there's some olive trees that are over 2,000 years old. In other words, they were here when Jesus was here. Okay, It's a really cool place. This is actually the view from the Mount of Olives looking back over to Jerusalem And I I realize it's kind of hard to see. I apologize for that. But do you see the gold dome there? Okay, that that is probably one of the most fought over and most argued places, pieces of real estate in all the world. Three different cultures, three different peoples kind of claim that as a a foundation of their beliefs. Uh, The Jewish people, Christians, and Islamic people. And so these three faiths all kind of claim that something really significant happened there. And they, that's a really holy place. Depending on where you're coming from, it takes on that different character. And, and you look down over there and you can see, even though the temple is no longer there, you can see some of the uh, uh, the, the, the parts of that that have fallen. Uh, I don't know that you can really see at the very bottom of there. Do you see a lot of these white triangles? Uh, those are gravestones. Those are put on the top. Uh, these, there's people that have been buried there. I think there's over 15,000 of those. There's actually Old Testament prophecy that says one day when Christ will return, not his first coming, but his second coming, that these graves, that he'll come to this very place, that side of the the wall, and that these graves, that these people will be resurrected. It's really kind of cool when you see how God has just orchestrated all these things together. And, uh, so when you go there, you actually get goosebumps on top of your goosebumps. I mean it really is one of those you're gone, okay. This is where, you know, Jesus did so much of his teaching when he would come to this place. And uh just a lot of things happened in the on the Mount of Olives and, and the surrounding areas. And in fact, most of the whole entire Passion Week happens almost in the backdrop of, of what you see right there. Very small place. And yet all these events happen there. And this is where Jesus taught his disciples, he would pray. Probably most significant when I visited there. This is where he wept over Jerusalem. Because you're sitting there and you're above about 250 to 300 feet above Jerusalem. And Jerusalem is already the high city. And yet on the Mount of Olives, you're kind of above that. And you're looking down. And this is where he wept over Jerusalem. Remember that because that's going to come back later in our study this morning. But here we see that uh, he's there. He's in full control. Prophecy is being fulfilled. And he sends two disciples... To, to go get this cult. That was a prophecy that was found in Zechariah nine nine. Mark doesn't say specifically that, but Matthew and John both kind of quote that in Matthew, he said it this way, Matthew twenty one, verse four and five. This took place to fulfill that which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. So Matthew brings it in. Why Matthew is writing to a Jewish audience. Okay, that would have been really important to them, tying in that Old Testament prophecy to what was happening right before their eyes. John says it this way. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. I don't know about you, but I identify with that verse. Are there spiritual things, are there spiritual insights that you don't always get first time around? Anybody feel that way? That you can read a verse, you can have your daily devotion, you can do something, and you can close it. And you know that that was the Word of God, okay? There's no doubt that you have faith and belief that that's the Word of God. And yet you close it up, and three minutes later you're going, I don't even remember what the subject was. (laughs) And I certainly don't have a timeless truth in my heart right now guiding me for the rest of the day. I feel for what John said. That the disciples, they were doing this, and even though it was Old Testament prophecy, and they should have known, this is a link there, that they did not fully understand what happened. And only as Jesus was glorified, and only after he goes, that they begin to say, okay, I'm starting putting the pieces of the puzzle together. The part of Jesus riding on a colt and donkey is very important signs here. Again, both to fulfill... Prophecy, but it was a sign of two things. One is it's a sign of kingship, of royalty, and the kingship of of Jesus, Uh, specifically a coronation that uh, they would go get. uh, You know, you would think this big war horse. You know, if you watched the Romans as they would celebrate victory, did, did Caesar come in on a cult? No, you're talking about a horse of a horse. I mean, they would go out and find the biggest horse, the most majestic horse. They would put that in all the regalia that that you could come with, and he would come in along with the whole, you know, the captains and the generals and the rest of the fighting army. They would say that in the Roman display after victories, they would even take lions and tigers. I don't know about bears, but lions and tigers, and that they would put that in the elephants as part of the processional. It was a big thing. Yet Jesus comes in, But the sign of royalty on the donkey that had never been ridden, and that is the second sign that we see there. This humility, this suffering servant of who Christ is. Time after time, Jesus was told people not to tell after he would do a miracle. Have you always been amazed at that? That he would heal somebody that you know they were blind now they can see. Now don't tell anybody. And of course they would always go and tell. I mean it was almost every time. Now don't go tell anybody. And first you think, okay, is this just reverse psychology? Is Jesus kind of just ahead of his time, and you know, don't tell because he knows that they are going to go tell. No, he, he's not ready to be recognized as the Messiah in one sense, as far as by the populace yet. Uh, yes, individually and in these small pictures, but but not so much in a, a national way, not so much in a world wide way. Well, now he is ready. This is the coronation of a king. This is Jesus Christ saying, "The Messiah is here. I am the Son." Of the living God. I am the Messiah. And I have come to fulfill those things that uh, that the te- you know that the Old Testament talks about. And so he's making himself known. He's no longer waiting for the right moment. The right moment is upon them. They get this cult. Uh we're not told who these two disciples are. Uh Paul David Tripp. Anybody ever read some of Tripp's stuff? He he's an excellent Presbyterian. Uh, preacher, I, I love what he does. He's very colorful in his works and, and his sermons and everything. And, and he speculates that this could have been James and John. Now, why does he say that? He, he's just guessing. He's just Because what did they say just chapters before? What did they want? Position. Will, will you allow us to sit? When you come into your kingdom... When you are coronated as king, will you allow us to sit right and left? I think it's very plausible that on this day that they are donkey fetchers, as, as, as Paul David Tripp would say. Oh, you want position? You want statue? You want to be used for the kingdom? Go get a donkey. That would be the humor of my God. The beauty of his plan. Well, they go out, and they, the procession begins. Look at verses 8 through 10. And many spread their cloaks. This would have been their outer jacket. Um, it would have been the only coat that most of them had. This is a pretty um, poor community. They don't have 14 coats in the closet. So they take that, which is personal to them. They put it out there. This is another spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before them and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And on Palm Sunday we talked about that, you know, that, that, that usually sometimes in, even in churches, that you'll have, they'll give out palms that day and like as you sing and you proclaim this. And a lot of times people equate this palm branch with, with peace, and it is peace, but it's peace, peace that has come through victory. It's really much more warlike. It actually comes out of a background of war, the Maccabeans, and, uh, that they use these palm, palm branches to declare the, the victory that was just won. So they're doing that. Hosanna, this is very important. Hosanna uh, means save us. It's from a, a Hebrew word. And, uh, it means to save us. So they are crying out, save us. Blessed he is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the kingdom of God, our father David. Save us in the highest. Is really there, in other words, in in, in every element save us. And so there's a, there is a proclamation of a Messiah here. But as I have bored you to death, almost every week that we've been in Mark, they are looking for a different kind of Messiah. They are looking for a Messiah to give them political victory over the Romans. They want to establish not so much a spiritual kingdom, but an earthly kingdom. They don't want so much spiritual freedom as they want political freedom. And it's really easy for us to kind of judge them and say, you know, man, how could they miss? They had Jesus right in front of them. I mean, what what the Gospel of John, remember when it said they didn't quite understand yet? And yet every one of us, or at least a whole bunch of us said, yeah, I identify with that. That there are things in our own spiritual walk that we don't always identify, even though they're really truths and they're deep needs, I don't know if you've ever played that game in your mind before. I certainly have many, many times. Where would I have been on that day? What part of the crowd would I have been? What I would have been the, the one that would have been singing Hosanna? But very much when I cried out, save us, save us. That I meant from these awful Romans and this political oppression. That was upon us. Can, can we have this nation of, of Israel back like it once was? Because remember what we said, guys. How deeply do our nationalism, does these, do these feelings of nationalism go into our hearts? Pretty deeply. Look at your red, white, and blue today. It's pretty deep-seated. Especially for those men and women who have fought for our country. They they were willing to put their life on the line. And so, man, I mean, I I advise you not to go up to a Marine today and try to burn a flag or something like that. Okay, you're you're on your own, okay? I'm your pastor, but I'm not going to show up for that one, okay? Why? Because these are deep-seated feelings. Understand, though, please understand that this is not new just because we're America. Understand, this is how they felt about their country. And people before them felt that way about their country. What is this within us? Is it built by you know, some social structure and culture? No, this is something that we long for freedom and identity because it was lost in Genesis chapter 2 and 3. When we fell from the perfect design of God, ever since then we have been thirsty. We have been oh so thirsty. For freedom, and relief from our bondage, an identity. Whether that identity came through a family, through a job, through a nation. Would you agree with that? And it's okay to disagree with the pastor. But I promise you, it goes back far beyond 1776. It goes back far beyond the elements of this page. When they want the restoration of Israel as a nation. It goes back to Genesis 2 and 3. When that which God had created perfectly rebelled against the holy God. And from that moment on we have been thirsty. That's why it's such a deep-seated feeling. And it was to them. And so they cry out, Hosanna, save us. Save us for what? Question for you. In fact, two questions this morning. When they cried out, Hosanna, that means save us. Do you, what do you think the people were wanting saving from? In your honest opinion, what do you think that they, when they cried out, Hosanna, they're, they're looking at Christ, writing in on, on a cult, okay? And they're, Hosanna, save us. What do you honestly believe that they were crying out for? Anybody? I mean, do you think that they were sitting there going, "You know, I'm a I'm a sinner, and I've been separated from a holy God, and I so need spiritual deliverance and victory here." I don't know that that really crossed their minds. It may have them one or two, or three or four, or a short, you know, a small percentage, but I don't know that that was what their cry was for. Uh, secondly, it says, "Okay, what, look what it says: Blessed is the king, the coming kingdom of our Father David." Do you see that? What kingdom do you think that they had in mind when they said, blessed is this coming kingdom? Yeah. The one that was right there in front of them. Will you establish this again? Do you think that they were talking about heaven? Do you think they were talking about a spiritual kingdom of residing with God forever and ever? See, I don't think that they were. I don't think we're stretching this. Because I know in our daily walk each week, have you ever cried out to God, save me? You know, as far as, you know, just that desperate, not just on the salvation part, but just, I mean, it's a bad week. Yeah. God, help me. You may not have said save me, but you could help me. You know, or this. Most of the times that I have cried that out, it hasn't been significantly spiritual in nature. You open up that bill and you're going, God save me. (laughs) Or there's a deterioration in the relationship that you have, maybe as intimate as husband and wife. There's just been a little bit of friction there. God save me. Restore this relationship. Or your kids have proven the whole theory of depravity from birth. God save me. Let me get one hour of sleep tonight. <laughs> not trying to be silly, I'm just saying how many times when we cry out, save me, that we really are saying save me to those things that are right in front of our vase, those things that are very current, that are very much here. Well, folks, I, I think that's natural. And so to me, it's not a far stretch to think that when they're saying, okay, blessed is this kingdom, I kind of get what kingdom they're thinking about. I I really don't know that they're saying, okay, but God, you know, that's the kingdom that's to come way, way, way far from now, what we would call heaven. I think that they're saying, save me from these Romans. I think they're saying, bless this kingdom that is the kingdom of Israel. Establish like it was back under King David, our father David. They wanted deliverance from their present captors, and they wanted Jesus to establish a present kingdom. And yet, when He comes to give His life as a ransom of our sins, does He say that He's going to give us present uh, freedom from present captors and, and establish a present kingdom, or does He say that He's going to give us an eternal victory and give us a, a, an eternal home? See, he's, he didn't switch his mind. He, he always said, Mark ten forty-five. this is the central verse of all of the gospel of Mark. It's the, it's the verse that, to me, sums up the whole meaning of the gospel writing of Jesus' life from Mark's perspective. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. A ransom for what? So that they could have a better life now, best life now, or so that they could have a spiritual relationship with the Holy God that was blown because of our own rebellion and our own sin. Well, Pastor, you, you're always making everything about sin. Are you just that, that unhappy of a guy? Now, I just want to preach the gospel, guys because I'm so prone to look at my temporary needs and my present, my temporary uh, defeats that my crying out Hosanna, my crying out of save me is almost always for those temporary things. And, and ultimately, I've just kind of changed the whole purpose of Christ at that point. He tells us what his purpose is. So what is his reaction when the crowd seemingly gets it so wrong Here he is, the son of the living God, the Messiah. And he's come for this purpose, and he's willing to lay his life down, and he's just doing it just like a a marksman aimed, you know, angry, scolding. I quit. Forget y'all. And he would have said y'all because he was from southern Capernaum. Okay? You know, here it is, southern, southern part of town, okay. No, look at his response. Mark doesn't tell us, but Luke does. In his gospel, Luke tells us what his response is. Luke nineteen forty one. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it. This is my Savior. When I needed a scolding, when when it would have been so easy, I quit. I quit. You're going to be that. You're going to miss every clue that I've ever given you. You're going to get my whole mission so wrong. I quit. Now he weeps over the city that gets it so wrong. Verse 42. Please don't miss this statement from our savior. What would you, even you? I'm sorry. What that you, even you had known on this day? The things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. Is that a relevant statement in 2021 as much as it was 2,000 years ago? What that you would know what makes for peace. When we cry out, Hosanna, save us, and we're keeping it in the very temporary, I get that, you get that, but we've already kind of agreed that this is kind of our understanding And yet, would it be an appropriate response in some of those times for for Christ today, to to Bobby, to you? Oh, that you would just know what really makes for peace. You're looking for a savior, but you really kind of get it wrong, what you need saved from. See, we only have one message to preach. If we're going to preach the gospel, we only have one message to preach, and that is the holiness of God and the perfection of God and the sinfulness of man. It's not so that we can just dirty our nose and make ourselves feel bad about it. No, it's to make much of him who loved us so much that he would send his son to die for us. That even when we were crying out, Hosanna, save us from this or that or whatever it might be. In a very kind of temporal kind of thought. Hey, will you build my kingdom here? I want the Bobby Lincoln's kingdom, okay? It's a kingdom of comfort and not a lot of stress. Oh, that you would know what really brings peace. Oh, that you would know what really brings peace. Do you know that real peace and freedom, do you know the real peace and freedom that, that Christ came to give? Because I promise you guys, as, as much as we have this deep patriotic sense about us, and that's good, nothing wrong with that. Their deep, were they wrong in their deep desire for the nation of Israel to be restored? No. that's their culture that's their mindset that's where they're from and if you're from other countries you would have that kind of pride maybe in your homeland if you've come to America maybe you've established that here this is not something unique to the American creature this is something that has happened since Genesis 2 and 3 and we live it out on different levels but the deepest level I would propose this morning Better yet, I think that the scripture proposes is our deep need for peace with a holy God and victory so that we could be established in his kingdom. We live it out on all these different levels, and that's why it's such a real feeling. But we're not going to sing God Bless America, or, or, or the, um, the Lee Greenwood song to end, because we've got another song. But if we did... There's nothing wrong with that song, guys. And you'd probably get goosebumps on top of your goosebumps. And you would probably stand up next to you. There's nothing wrong with that. This is part of the, our, our human experience. I just suggest that it comes from a drive that's much, need, uh, much more base, much more oriented in, into a deeper need for freedom. And that only comes through Jesus Christ. If somehow I have confused you, if somehow I have offended you, if somehow you disagree with anything I said, please give me a call this week. Don't let that kind of stand between you and I and our relationship. Because in no way does I want do I want anybody to go from this place to go and oh, He's just not a patriotic folk. No. I mean, if it had stars and stripes on it, I would have worn it this morning. Okay. I don't. Ha- I don't have any stars and stripes in, in my closet. Okay. Don't don't hear this from a guy who's not patriotic. Don't hear this from a guy who doesn't love his country. Don't hear this from a guy who wouldn't go serve his country today. Take this from a guy who's exposed by the the gospel message, and and I see that all those feelings that I have and all this patriotism that I have, it's just a sign of this deeper need that I have that goes much, much more to my base and much, much more to the real depth of my heart, my thirst for this freedom. Do we all have this William Wallace in front of us? The, the correct answer to that is yes, no. Yes, we all have this great need for freedom, but I fr- believe that it goes way far before William Wallace. <laughs> Do you get what I'm saying this one? Does that make sense? John says in eight, John eight thirty six. So if the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. That's our greatest need, guys. That's our greatest need. Let's make much this 4th of July of our independence. Let's make much of patriotism. Salute and, and sing Patriarch songs today. Make much of that, guys. This, this is, I, I'm proud to be American. And I would gladly stand up next to you. That's where they were coming that day. I just want the restoration of their nation. They'd been impressed by the Romans for so long. What they felt was very natural. But as the scripture says, they didn't understand. They didn't grasp it fully that day. And I pray that this morning we will grasp the beauty of living in a free country. And that the beauty that a savior, that God, holy God, has given us his son to bring us ultimate freedom. And that that's not just a temporal kingdom, but it's a permanent forever and ever and ever. That's why we make much, and we glory in the cross. We glory in the cross. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we love you, and Father, I pray that I've communicated, right? The last thing I would want to do, Father, is offend this morning or confuse. But Father, I think your word, I don't think it's ironic at all that on Here, a 4th of July, a celebration of the independence that you have uh, allowed us to have as Americans and, and our pride in that, our joy in that, our celebration of that, that you would bring us back to another time in history, Father, when a people so desired to have that kind of joy and that kind of freedom. To know that their kids could go up and, and, and not be under another government, but that they would be able to be established in their own culture. Father, that makes sense to us. And yet today, Father, I, I do believe that there's times that Jesus would weep over this country and other countries in this world. For Father, we have so desired to fulfill this thirst for freedom with things that are just temporary in nature and ignored. Father, this, this separation between you, a holy and perfect God, and we, a rebellious and sinful people, thank you for the cross. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for a suffering servant who did not delay, who did not go another way, did not say, I quit, but wept over a city and followed through with your divine plan so that this day, Father, that whether we live in the freedom of a country like America or, Father, we lived in a captivity of some other country under a regime or, or father's some other government control, that we could say, I have been set free. And I I belong to a people that will be ever free because I've trusted in the finished and complete work of a Savior. We love you, Father. We thank you. And we celebrate freedom in every aspect today as we sing you this song about the sacrifice of one who gave us that. And we pray in the power of his name. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at wwwcorner stonecom Dot .org or find us on Facebook